I want to begin this morning by looking at one of my favourite meetings in all of fiction. Um, there's this uh, uh, moment uh, when you have like this clash of two very different frames of reference. And there's this beautiful moment of playfulness. And I hope this morning that it makes you think as well. Um, if you've ever encountered the book or the films Lord of the Rings, you'll know The Hobbits. They're kind of loosely based on people, and they have a lifespan about of 100 years. Um, and uh, then there's Ents as well. I'm trying to go through this, but I'm like, I'm going to fix that door in a moment. Um, and then you have these things called Ents, which are basically uh, uh, tree herders, and they have lifespans on millennia. So uh, you have these two contrasting peoples. You have hobbits, which uh, uh, live like uh, on average about 100 years, and then you have these Ents, which live for millennia. Just imagine a moment, living for millennia. I wonder what your priorities, your outlook would be if you didn't just live for 70-odd uh, years but for thousands of years. And this is a, a great meeting in the Lord of the Rings. And it says this. Nobody else calls us hobbits. We call ourselves that, said Pippin. Ho, hum, come now, not so hasty. You call yourselves hobbits, but you should not go telling anybody that. You'll be letting your own names right out if you are not careful. We aren't careful about that, said Mary. As a matter of fact, I'm Brandybuck. Meredith Bandybuck, though most people call me just Mary. And I'm Took, Peregrine Took, but I'm generally called Pippin or even Pip. Hmm, you are a hasty folk, I see, said Treebeard. I am honoured by your confidence, but you should not be too free all at once. There are Ents and Ents, you know. There are Ents and things that look like ain't Ents, but ain't, as you might say. I'll call you Mary and Pippin, if you please. Nice names, so I am not going to tell you my name yet. Not at any rate yet. A queer, half-knowing, half-humorous look came with a green flicker into his eyes. For one thing, it would take a long while. I really enjoy this. My name is growing all the time. I have lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of things they belong to in my language. In the old Entish, as you might say, it is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it because we do not say anything in it unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen to. Oh, hopefully you can hear in that the contrast of these two uh, values and languages and cultures. Uh, Mary and Pippin leave, live with a certain immediacy and a certain rush. And in the story of the Lord of the Rings, they're agents for great change because they're always up to something. They're always looking for new adventures. Uh, but then you have Treebeard, who lives for thousands upon thousands of years, where nothing will rush because he knows that everything needs to be considered, and even his name is long. And it makes him compelling too. And you wonder what it would be like to meet someone that didn't just live for 70 years, but 
for a long, long time. In some ways, I think our particular brand of Christianity in this place can be a bit hobbit-like. We think short-term. We think, uh, 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 and we are obsessed with what is happening now. And we are very hasty. Something that comes along, we need to deal with it immediately. And there's a rushness and immediacy to uh, our lives and to our particular brand of Christianity. Today's issue, whatever's going on in our lives right now, is the biggest ever we've ever encountered. And the newest thing is the most important thing. It's sort of, uh, uh, we rush it to the front of our minds. And it can make life exciting, but it can make us live in anxiousness and haste and speed and rush. But the, uh, a slower pace is cherished in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if you've uh, tried to read the uh, uh, book of Matthew at the beginning, uh, where they have like this nativity story. But before you get to the nativity story, there is this list of names that is really easy to uh, um, sort of phase out or skip over. But, um, and I, I don't know whether you've encountered the Chosen series, but I know many of us have watched it. But we get in the Chosen series a character called Matthew who is uh, slightly autistic, who has a, uh, has a thoroughness and a deliberation about detail that annoys all his other uh, disciples. Uh, but in the book, he is thorough and complete. And you get this sense of more than just the immediacy of Mark. If you've ever read the book of Mark, you'll find everything's now and then and quick. And there is a rhythm to it that suggests that Peter, the disciple, was behind that. But in Matthew, there is such a longer-term view that it is really good. If you've got a, book, uh, a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. I wonder how many of you in your uh, writings, if you were to write out the gospel, would start with this. But this is Matthew's attempt. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in verse 2 he goes, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of of Jacob. You already get the idea of where this is going, don't you? List upon list upon list. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And on and on it goes. And then in verse 16, it says this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary the, was the mother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. 
It does not make for exciting reading. You will not find that portion in many devotionals out there. It doesn't, as you read it, set you up for the day with some sort of quick pep talk. But it does paint a great picture of God's promise to Abraham. A God's promise that endured not just through the days of Abraham's life, not even through just Abraham's whole life, but through Abraham's life and his children and his children and his children. And his promise weaves through all these lives, generation after generation, 14 generations after 14 generations. Individually, these names have all sorts of exciting testimonies contained within. And we could spend long on many of the names here, but together they are a symphony of God's goodness, a symphony of God's faithfulness, of his steadfast, of his keeping with a people that often deserved nothing of the sort. They are uh, a wonderful hymn of praise to a God who is faithful and it climaxes in Jesus. And we Pentecostals, we who love the Holy Spirit and sort of uh, make a big thing of him, sometimes I think we would do well to take a uh, look at the long game a little more often. Not to seek whatever the newest thing is, not to seek the next exciting uh, 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 book or media sensation or song, but to see things through a much longer lens. It is healthy and calming to see today's little moment. And each of us have got little moments today that uh, we are struggling with or over the moon about. Whether it is uh, a, a dripping tap or a broken car or uh, um, uh, something more uh, positive. And not to get disturbed by these things, but to see them in a much longer uh, frame of time. We, you and I, we live in a time where people often want to forget the shadow of their parents. They want to forge new paths. We, uh, I used to get irritated as a kid being told how much I looked like my dad, and now uh, I'm just completely resigned to it. On the phone, you can't tell me, my dad, and my brother alike, uh, apart on the phone, because our voices are exactly the same. But we often want to distinguish ourselves from our parents. We see their uh, uh, failures. We see the ways that we don't want to be like them, and we want to forge a new path of, of us. But in Old Testament scripture, this lineage who your parents were, who your parents' parents were. It's part of a profound language of God, of God's steadfastness, not just in your life, but in the people that preceded you and the people that will come after you. And what this does is, and I really like this, is God's hard at work through parents and children. And you can't fabricate that. Children have their own minds, but if they come and follow God too, that is a, uh, that is a work of God. That he is being faithful 
to your family. And if your grandkids become Christians too, that becomes a joy too. And it becomes something that you cannot control, but it is a sign of God's goodness. And so as perhaps we get less agitated by the now, I want us to read this rather interesting um, well, it, hopefully it will become interesting. When at first look, uh, it won't be immediately obvious. But if you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 6. It says this in verse 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And we all know that. That is kind of a repeat summary of something we've encountered these were the heads of their families. And I wonder if you notice a pattern or anything in this. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanok, Pulai, Hezron, and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jamal, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar. Names that have gone out of fashion a little bit. I don't think Job or Miles have got any friends of that names. Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records. Gershon, Koath, uh, and Moriah. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon, by clans, were Libni, Shimei. The sons of Koath were Amran, Izhar, Hebron, and Azor. Koath lived 130 years. Yeah. Put your hand up if you're bored already. Oh, look at you. You're all liars. You are. <laughs> this is not something that's very exciting. We don't know these people intimately. We may recognize a name or not. Uh, uh, but this is not thrilling storytelling. But there is a point, and I'm going to bang on with it. The sons, of, the sons of Mariah were uh, Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amran married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. There we go. There's some names you should suddenly uh, uh, recognize. Amran lived 137 years. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nephig, Zikri. The sons of Azul were Mishal, Elazaphan and Sithri. Aaron mar married uh, Elisheba, daughter of Aminadeb and sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab and Habihu, Eliza and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Isa, Elkanah and Ibsaph. And these were the Korite clans. Eliza, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. Some of you a little familiar with your Old Testament might recognize that name. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This say Moses and Aaron. And you have that phrase at the end, which is almost exactly the phrase at the beginning, and they bookend this bit. Why is this family tree here? Did you notice it doesn't really deal 
with the faithfulness of Abraham. That's normally what you get a list in the Bible for. It lists the promise of Abraham and it goes down through the generations. This is not about that. There is God's faithfulness here, but not because of the promise of Abraham. This list of names, however boring and tiresome we may find it, centres around one person. Everyone say Aaron. Aaron is the subject of this list of names. Why is Aaron such a big deal here? Well, Moses, everyone knows Moses. Moses is Aaron's younger brother. I don't know if you have younger or older sisters, and how wonderful it is to be upstaged by them on a regular basis. Um, And Moses was Aaron's younger brother. And uh, Aaron was continually upstaged by his younger brother because it's Moses that went out into the wilderness, Moses that was spoke to at the burning bush, Moses that came back, and Moses that had this miraculous stick that changed into snakes and saw him do incredible things. Aaron, the older brother, is a little less conspicuous. He's the kind of uh, the person that comes along when Moses complains that he can't do it. And he goes, well, I'll send your older brother to help sort you out. And it happens again and again. But this I found really interesting. Do you know, Moses' family line, we don't know what happened to it. The son of Moses, we know, but we don't know what happens after that. It disappears into obscurity. The children of Moses in uh, that bloodline get forgotten. Aaron's, on the other hand, are remembered diligently. Do you know why that is? Well, you see, Aaron would be made the first high priest. Aaron would be the one that would serve God in the temple. He would be the Levi of Levi, the priest of priest, the person that was uh, um, in charge of discerning God's will. Moses came in for a moment and then his lineage kind of fades out. But Aaron, he becomes important to the whole story of Israel for generations upon generations. Aaron sets the tone for priests and Israel again and again. If you've got a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. It says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate. I wonder where you draw the line at older. The older I get, uh, the, uh, 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 the, the more mature that mark gets put up. Um, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. 
Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to the masters in everything, to try and please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be trusted, so that in every way they will, meet the, uh, they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. And verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And then there's this sense that Paul wants to convey to Titus, that the gospel doesn't uh, distinguish between people. It is for everyone, man, woman, and child, for slave, for free, uh, for employed, unemployed, Jew, Gentile. And then there is a responsibility in Aaron's story and in this word here. You are not here on a Sunday morning just to be served. You may turn up at 10.30 and leave the moment, the moment the sermon's finished, but you are not here just to be served, just to be encouraged, just to be given a pep talk so that you can make it through the week ahead. You are here to maintain the story of God's grace in this community. And how do you do that? Yes, it's good to worship. Yes, it's good to take notes during the sermon. Yes, it's good to participate in communion. But you are here to interact with all the other people in this community. You are here to listen to the old and the young, to hear their stories, to encourage them. Because God knows we all need encouragement. We all need people to come alongside us and go, you are worth my time. We are here to help the old people lead us forward with their maturity and their endurance, with their stability uh, that comes from seeing God's work not just through, through a year, through, through a few years, but through decades. And we help the young who face all sorts of immediate big issues that they have to sort out and give them the encouragement that the God who served you will serve them too. We're here to help the old grow older in God's wisdom and we're here to help the young as well. So the, the story of God's grace resounds in this community and again and again. I've come across a, uh, a reality recently through a number of different things that all of us die and all the things you accumulate over the years, most of that will get taken up the community tip. All these things you treasure, all these things you love, when the people that clear out your place after you die, most of it will go up the tip. All the stuff you save for, all the stuff you cherish, most of that won't be taken on. Partly because no one's got room in their house, all the stuff you love as well as all the stuff they love. More than that, not only the stuff you love will not be treasured by other people, but you will be forgotten. 
you might know uh, who your parents were, who your grandparents were. But after that, very few of us know those uh, people that came before us. I wonder how many of us, so I can name, I think I can name probably three of my four grandparents. One of them I never met, um, and they're all dead now. And it's interesting, isn't it? That's only a couple of generations. You will be forgotten. All the things that are troubling you, harassing you, causing you grief right now, in a hundred years' time, that will matter nothing to nobody. But the Bible gives us and suggests to us a little different picture. Rather than to be obsessed with our individual story, to enjoy this grand swathe of God's grace through the generations, through uh, communities that last for more than just one uh, lifespan. Each of us this morning can choose to serve the longer story. Yes, you can choose to serve your own story where you are the centre of it and you have all the limelight and you are the most important thing. But you know what? Your story ends after maybe 80 years. Some of us have seen uh, that story can often end badly no matter how well you prepare yourself for it. Or you can embrace a longer, wider, more profound story of God's grace through the generations. And we do that by serving each other in this place. By valuing the old and the young. By valuing the people that we are not immediately familiar with. I am really glad that we have got in this community still people of a very young age and old age. That a, We've got a pretty full spectrum represented here. I would be gutted if there was a demographic missing. And so there's an opportunity for everyone here to value each uh, aspect of that age range. It's the prayer of parents, I'd like to say all parents, and even most adults, that the next generation will do better. You want that, don't you? Or I hope you do, you selfish bunch. Uh, that the people that come after us will do better. That they'll look after the environment better. They'll be better at keeping the peace. They'll be better at sharing the wealth. They'll be better at making humanity more sustainable. Believers in particular long that their children will learn from their mistakes that they will know new heights of God's grace, that they will enjoy fresh revival. I pray for those kids in Sunday school that their experience of church will even be more dynamic, uh, more interesting, more engaging, more successful, that they will see more people come to Christ. Aaron's lineage is fruitful. And I want to read you two stories. If you've got a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 27.
even at, what's it, 45 years old, what do I do when I try and remember what order the books of the Bible in? I remember that little Sunday school uh, uh, ditty that sort of tries to recite them. Admittedly, I run out about sort of chronicles-ish. But it's interesting what stays with you. And uh, God bless our uh, Sunday school teachers. Um, but it says this in uh, N- Numbers 27. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all things, appoint someone over his community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that God, Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who in, in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliza. I wonder if you recognize that name. Make him stand before Eliza, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliza the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. That's like these little dice. It's a a little uh, strange for us to see now. Um, But that's what they were before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out and at at his command they will come in. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and made him stand before Eliza the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. We have this new high priest, Aaron's dead. We have a new high priest. It's Aaron's son. And just on the brink of taking the promised land, Aaron's son takes on this role of being mediator with God and the people. And he anoints Joshua as the new leader, as the person to take over Moses. Moses does not see his children take on the reins of authority, but Aaron gets to see his children take Israel to the next destination. Now turn to uh, Psalm 106. It says this, it's a epic poem um, and it sort of recounts the uh, history of Israel and uh, God's faithfulness and it says this in Psalm 106 starts off very familiarly if uh, you know anything about the Israelites they grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord so he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds and plague broke out among them. They are not in a good position. These are not Israelites near to God. They are deaf, dumb and blind in their religion. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. And there's some beautiful words. And this was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. I am not going to tell you what Phineas did. It is not for the faint-hearted. It is Numbers 25. If you are interested, uh, but I'm not going to take that uh, 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 particular story to hand. 
nevertheless, Phineas came in, did something dramatic, something that few of us would associate with godliness, but he did it, and it says that it was counted to him as righteousness, and what he did blessed generations to come. Aaron's descendants wouldn't be perfect, but they would perpetuate his legacy of godliness. Our kids, and I'm kind of including anyone that goes to school or younger, they're going to have different struggles to you and I. They're going to encounter questions that never occurred to us. They'll encounter situations that today we think are inconceivable. Just as the battles that we're facing today, our parents look scared by. But the thing is, our God is faithful. If we join his work, he is doing through the ages, if we are faithful, we will be counted amongst the genealogies of church history that praise God. I would really like it if Jana and Paisley and Carlitos and Miles, when they have their great biographies uh, uh, written uh, by Christian authors, that there might be a mention of you or I as we sat down with them and encouraged them and came alongside them and walked their walk for them. It may not be for very long, but we came alongside them and inspired them and said, you know what? I want you to go further. I want you to do more. I want you to achieve greater things. I know my God is faithful and he can do more for you uh, um, than I have experienced. I want to uh, close with this episode. Um, one of my, if you know me, one of my favorite Christian stories is the God smuggler, Brother Andrew, and he goes through uh, sort of communist uh, uh, sort of uh, the Iron Curtain uh, during that time and sort of smuggle Bibles into different communities. And he trains up the next generation. He trains up someone to take over uh, from him as he gets old. And it says this, um, his help is called Hans. If Hans was slow at learning mechanical skills, he was miles ahead of me in other ways. One of them was daring. The friends with whom we stayed in Berlin were enthralled at the idea of smuggling Bibles to the Soviet Union. Our church has some Russian Bibles, Andrew. Couldn't you take them along? I wasn't so sure. Our gear was already full to the point of looking conspicuous. Of course we'll take them, said Hans. And then he turned to me. If we're going to be arrested for carrying Bibles, we might as well be arrested for carrying them a lot in. So he squeezed the extra books in. Then just as we were leaving, some other friends arrived with a whole carton of Ukrainian Bibles. I looked at Hans pleadingly, but I knew already that the box was going with us. This time there was simply no storage place left. Well, said Hans, you told me you always leave a few Bibles in plain sight, so God can do the job and not you. I'll carry these on my lap. And so we made the crossing to Brest. Hans could hardly contain his excitement as the barrier gate swung open. He insisted on using his Russian with the customs officials. I doubt if they could understand one word in ten. 
but they were tremendously complimented that this guy was making the effort. We must have been among the very first cars to enter without a tourist guide. The guards were interested in their, uh, in their novel job of inspecting our papers and effects themselves, and they were delighted when we presented them with American dollars for exchange. Russia and United States make insults, uh, one of the guards said in English with a wink, but these we forgive, and he took the dollar bills. One ruble for one dollar, that makes it easy. At last came the time for the inspection of the car that we were so nervous about. Our car was full of Russian forbidden Bibles. Hans and I agreed ahead of time on the technique that we would use ever afterwards. Whenever two people were crossing a border together, only one of us would be talking at a time, the other would be in prayer, constant prayer. Prayer that God's will be done in each detail of the inspection. Prayer for the country we are entering, beginning with these employees at the border. In this case, the guard asked us to open a couple of suitcases, but he didn't glance at them barely. When he wanted to see, uh, what he wanted to see was uh, the, en the car's engine. He asked me some technical questions and apparently felt embarrassed at having shown unofficial curiosity and he slammed the hood shut. We walked back with us through the little garden in the front of the custom shed, stamped our papers and wished as well we were across. And so the call this morning is simply just to beware of a wider community, to be aware that you are responsible for encouraging the person next to you, the person that is young, that is old, uh, that is struggling. And my call is this morning, isn't it worth a series of Netflix going unwatched, a game of Candy Crush being unplayed, a household job being left undone, or a DIY project being postponed so that you can be part of God's grace in this community and the story that may last not just for our lifetimes, but the lifetimes in the future. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are faithful not just to the now, but throughout our lives and throughout generations of lives. God, we thank you uh, for scripture and its emphasis on your faithfulness through sons and daughters and grandchildren. Lord God, I pray that we may take that in this morning that we would look on our community and see it as an opportunity to be part of each other's story, a part to encourage and build up. And Heavenly Father, we long for those that we come alongside to do better than us, to stretch further than we have, to believe for more than we could, to have faith for greater things, to see more of you than we ever have. Heavenly Father, we pray for the people uh, we raise up as leaders in this place, that they would know you and see more of you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.